All right, y'all, we're on page eight. We're going to be in, actually, we're going to, actually, on page nine, we're going to be in Matthew, excuse me, in, in the book of, of John this morning. John chapter 14 is where we are today. And as we're looking at the Trinity, and uh, I'll ask this question again. Let's say if somebody came to you <clears throat> and asked a question, you ever get, you ever get questions? Nellie says all the time. All right, questions from people you work with or family or your kids or your grandkids. Kids ask the best questions, don't they? They ask some of those questions that have, have very difficult answers. But, uh, you know, God has called us to bring the answers and uh, or at least to know where the answers are, right? The answers are right here, you know, in the Word. And so I pray that people will come to you and ask you those questions and and, you know, because a lot of times we, <clears throat> as Christians, we just assume that maybe everybody else knows the same thing we do, or they've heard these answers before. A lot of times that's, that is not the way it is. Don't, don't assume that. You, as believers, we shouldn't become arrogant and say, well, we've got all the answers and you don't, you evil world. No, we shouldn't do that. But we should have confidence that, yeah, God has given us the answers. He has given us the truth. And a lot of people in life walk around and, and, and need that and really are looking for that. And so give it to them. You know, I, I remember looking, I remember being lost and not knowing what the answer to the question was. The question was, John, you're, I mean, the answer was, John, you're a sinner. You need to be saved from your sins. <laughs> the answer is not found from within you, John. That's the problem. <laughs> the problem is you. You are a sinner. The answer will not come from you, John. The answer will come from elsewhere. It comes from Jesus, right? I didn't know that. And now my upbringing, my family certainly showed me the way, and my parents certainly led by example. But a lot of times it takes someone giving you the answer to your questions. And so when you meet somebody like that, that you sense they just don't have it figured out yet, well, help them with that. Give them those answers. And B, it takes some bravery, doesn't it? It takes some courage sometimes to, to speak the truth. If you're like me, your, your palms start to get kind of sweaty. And uh, you get a little bit nervous, and that's healthy. That's normal. That means there's a little bit of a tense situation, and the enemy does not want you to say anything. He does not. And, there's, and you're like, okay, if I say something, how are they going to respond? Or, okay, Lord, what's, this may be, what if they reject what I have to say, or they reject me, or they think I'm a weirdo, or they think I'm a Jesus freak? Don't worry about it. Just tell them the truth, and you will have done a good thing. And so, anyway. Just thought I'd throw that in this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 14. And with this whole thing of the, of the Trinity, if someone were to ask you this question, who is God? What is this thing that you Christians call the Trinity? And why do you believe in the Trinity? Give me some answers for that. What does that mean that God is a Trinity? What would you say? What? One what? Three who's. Okay. I like that. We've been using that, haven't we? All right. And so if I came back and I said, okay, he's one what? Well, he's one what what? <laughs> what is that one what? He's one God. Okay. All right. So he's, he's one being. Okay. And even as we say that, we're like, uh, we won't completely understand until we see him. And then I think we'll even be in even more awe of God when we see him, when we're in his in his presence. And uh, all right, so what is the three who's? 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we have this, we have this uh, beautiful thing called the Trinity that, is, uh, that just blows us away when we look at the Scriptures. And so this morning what we're going to look at, we're going to look at the unity <clears throat> that is expressed in, uh, again, I'm going to use some big words, the unity that, that is expressed in the Godhead. Have you ever heard that phrase or that word before, the Godhead, in, or in the Trinity, in that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are three in one. They're three in one at the same time, but yet there is this connection between the three of them that is unseparable, you know, unseparable. You remember a couple weeks ago, and let's just do this. If you've got your study, turn back to page 15 when we looked at the Athanasian Creed. And uh, Athanasian Creed, named after this guy named Athanasius, who lived in the 4th century A.D., he didn't write this, but this was named after him. The reason why it was named after him was he was very much a proponent of the Trinity and fought for it for the church in the midst of, of, a, lot of uh, a lot of heresy, a lot of attacks. And so the Athanasian Creed is, is about 1,600 years old. It's ancient. I don't know about you, but I consider that ancient, 1,600 years old. And, uh, but I want us to, in, in here somewhere, there is the word inseparable. And if you can find it, okay, there we go. Let's just start at the beginning. Or, or look, at, look at, I think it's the third sentence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such as the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreate, the Son increate, and the Holy Ghost uncreate. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal, and yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three uncreated or three incomprehensibles, but one uncreated and one uncomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, and the Holy Ghost Almighty, and yet they are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. Look down there at the very bottom, the last phrase. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghost, or our modern translations would say Holy Spirit, okay? That's from the King James. In this Trinity, and in this Trinity, none is afore or after other. What does that mean? Yeah, there's no top dog or one didn't show up first ahead of the other two. They all stand together as co-equal. None is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co eternal together. What would that mean, co-eternal together? They've always been. They've always existed, existed together and co-equal so that in all things, as is aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshiped. He therefore that will be saved must think of the Trinity. There's this connection. There's this relational nature of God of being three and one at the same time. And you're thinking, I don't have a clue how to understand that. Amen. We're all in that together. That is a part of, of who God is. And so as we look back, now you can turn back to John chapter 14. As we look at John 14 this morning, you're going to see that intimate connection of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I'm not going to brag on myself. 
Because I'm going to, I'm go, if I'm going to brag on myself, I'm going to also include the Father and the Holy Spirit because we are all one. And Jesus, you'll hear Jesus say things like, I just didn't come, I didn't come just of my own initiative, but who sent me? The Father sent me. There's this connection of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And then in this passage, we're going to see, even though I'm leaving, someone else is going to come, and it's the Holy Spirit. And he is going to do, he's going to basically finish what we started. And all throughout the Scripture, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all there together. You know, even if you go back to the creation event, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You remember that verse of Scripture that deals with that, talking about that, that the Holy Spirit was right there. He was a part of creation. If he's God, we would expect him. God is creator, right? So it's not just the Father that was the creator. It says in Genesis 1 that Holy Spirit was, is also there. And then we can look in Colossians, and in Colossians it says that Jesus created everything, both invisible and visible, is what it says in Colossians chapter 1. So right there we've got all three persons of the Trinity involved in creation. Man, as we were watching that video, I couldn't help but think about creation and how incredible some of those pictures were And uh, just as we were singing that song. Now, the other, the other cool thing in this is you're going to see this unity expressed by Jesus explaining the Trinity. So let's look at John chapter 14. I think last week we got into this a little bit, and we read a little bit about it. But does anybody know what the setting is for John chapter 14? What's going on? They're at a particular place, the Last Supper. Exactly. They're celebrating Passover. This is the Passover week. And so it was a Jewish festival, and uh, obviously Jesus was going to be crucified during Passover week. And uh, as our Passover lamb, that was no accident that uh, God used the Passover week to be the very week that he was going to be crucified, basically saying that, hey, forget about those little lambs that are being sacrificed. I'm the real unblemished perfect lamb, uh, the only one that can pay for your sins as a sacrifice. And in the midst of all this, now, think about this. If you knew that within a few days you were going to suffer the most violent death ever created by men, if you knew that you were going to be facing that within two or three days, what would you be doing? Huh? Running. Get out of town. Jonah. <laughs> Leave. <laughs> what would you be thinking? Running. That's one option. Huh? Why me? Why me or maybe whining? <laughs> That's probably what I'd be doing. I have to wait. If you're in a circle with your closest friends, a gathering like this with your closest friends, what might you be talking to them about? Okay. Yeah. I'd be boohooing on people's shoulders. You know, we've got to, how can you help me with this? We've got to stop this. This is not right. It's not fair. Or either that or I'd be raising up an army, you know, to defend to defend myself, to keep this from happening. The whole focus of Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16, and even 17, is not that at all, is it? The focus is not on all poor, poor Jesus. The focus is on his church and on his apostles, his disciples, and what God is going to do in the midst of all this. And Jesus actually praying for them, which is just incredible, the focus of the Lord. So let's pick up in John 14, and uh, we ended up last week with Philip asking him this question. Philip said to him in verse 8, 
Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him in verse 9, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, what does that mean? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. One and the same. We're of the same essence, of the same characteristics. The characteristics of Jesus were the same as the characteristics of the Father and the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, right? And when we use that phrase, characteristics of God or the nature of God, what comes to your mind? What are some of those characteristics that the Father and Jesus shared? Yeah, eternal, forgiving, omnipotent. Some of those eight-cylinder words that we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, that uh, omnipotent and uh, omnipresent and the fact that God is everywhere, that he is, all, he is the Almighty, He is holy. That's what Jesus is talking about. If you have seen me, what would they have seen in Jesus? Through four years of ministry, Jesus basically, there was about four Passovers that he celebrated in his, in his ministry. That's probably a poor way of saying it because Jesus ministered his whole life. But what we see in the Gospels was about four Passovers. So what would they have seen in Jesus during those four or so years that would tell them about the Father? All right, the love he showed. Huh? Healing. His power. How did, how did they get to see his power? Raising of the dead, yeah. Walking on water. Walking on the Sea of Galilee. All these miracles that would prove to them, this is not a mere mortal. This is not a mere man. This is more than just a man. This is the God-man. This is the Scripture would have told them in the Old Testament in Isaiah that God was going to become a man. You remember the passage in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that we read at Christmas time that uh, he will be called wonderful counselor mighty God and unto us a child will be born unto us a son will be given and this baby or this man is going to be not just man but God so they would have seen that everywhere they followed him they would were seeing God in the flesh so they were able to experience and see who God is and so what is Jesus basically saying to him in chapter 14 if you've seen me, then you know who the Father is. I don't have to show him for you. He's, he's, he's identical to who I am. We're of the same essence, you know. There's this connection. And, he, you know, Jesus doesn't say, oh, man, the Father is completely different than me. He doesn't say that. He's basically saying, if you have seen me, you have seen the same qualities that I have are the same qualities as that of the Father. Let's look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Does anybody have a different word there or different translation besides abiding? Living, dwell. Bonnie, what translation is yours? New King James. Okay, dwell. The New American Standard says abiding. And really the, uh, probably the best translation is either the abiding or dwelling. Uh, we really don't use, or, or really living, Mary Eugene says living, they're actually all good. Because really what this is talking about is a concept of a tabernacle in the Hebrew use. You know over in John chapter 1, when it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally what that's talking about is there was a new temple coming. The Jews were accustomed to the temple. And now what, what John is saying is there's a new temple coming, and it's the temple of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is, the God is going to begin living among us. He's making his home amongst us. 
Well, I thought God's home was in heaven. Yeah, it is. But now he's going to make his home amongst us. He's going to come down to earth. He's not so high and mighty and lofty and arrogant that he can't leave heaven and come down and live like one of us and walk in our shoes. That's what, that's what this is talking about, is that God has made his dwelling, or he's coming down to live with us as humans. It was what John chapter 1 was talking about. And so right here, it says that the Father abides in Jesus. In other words, there's a relationship there. There's a relationship there, a tight relationship. You know, if when, when, you, come and, uh, when you come and live with somebody for a couple of months, you get to see the real them, don't you? You know, when you go, you know the moments where you go on vacation and you go, and, and let's say, like, like for instance, uh, how can I say this? If you have a family come to your house for the holidays and they stay for four or five days, at the end of that four or five days, pretty much everything has been ex- experienced, hasn't it? <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. You get to see, you know, after a couple of days, the, the masks kind of come off and and you get to see the way people really are. And that's, that's fine. That's life. That's living. If you come into my home, you know, Kim and I used to laugh about if other people could hear what, what happens in our household, <laughs> you know, you get to see real life at the horns. And I remember one day, uh, and I forget which boy I was getting on to, whether it was Josh or Sam, but one of the, one of the boys really got me hot under the collar. I was really upset with what he had done. And so I was giving him one of those talking to's, okay? And we were kind of going back, and my voice was, it was, I had raised it a little bit. And at about that moment, somebody knocked on the door. Dun, 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 dun. And I kind of looked around, and I was like, oh, man. And it was, it was a guy that used to go to our church, and he, he still comes here some. And I thought, you know, I wonder how long he was at the door before he knocked on the door. Maybe he came to the door, and he heard what was going on, and he thought, I'm just going to check this out. Let's see what Pastor John has, what real life in Pastor John's house. But, but anyway, but that's, that was real life. And so, uh, you know, and, and, and when Jesus says right here in, in chapter 14, verse 10, making an abode or living, we're talking about life in its most intimate level. That's what we're talking about here. Life in its most intimate level and that's what it's talking about, that he's saying, Gee, me and the Father could not be any closer. We could not be any more connected relationally to one another. We're inseparable. We, we use the, you ever heard the old phrase, like two peas in a pod, you know, referring to, to two people. You know, like uh, whenever me and some of y'all, if you know Chris Ellison from the other campus, whenever, whenever they see Chris and I together, they, they call us Mutt and Jeff which is like, I think, an old comic strip, and that's just because I'm tall and skinny and Chris is, is short. And, uh, but this whole thing of, of being connected to one another in unity is what Jesus is talking about. And uh, now, when it says that in verse 10, because I used to think this, do you not believe that I am in the Father? I used to think that that, that literally meant that, the Father, that Jesus was inside the Father. Is that what that's really talking about? What does it mean I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. What does that mean? Yeah, they both have the same characteristics. Would you say, Linda? They're one, yeah. If I say I'm in trouble, in trouble, what does that mean? Me and trouble have become really good buddies. I have a relationship with trouble right now. I'm in trouble. But it doesn't mean that I am like in some kind of bowl. I'm inside of something. That's going to be important later on because when we talk about Jesus 
is in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. The Father is in me. It doesn't necessarily mean that if you open up my chest, you're going to see Jesus. Now, that sounds goofy, but I, I, as a little kid, I used to think that. What it means is I now have a relationship with Jesus, and he is dwelling in my life. That's what that's talking about, you know, and, uh, which is, is so much more important. Look at verse 11. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. Didn't he just say that in the previous verse? Why is he repeating it? It's important. Do you ever say the same thing twice? Mary, you're laughing. I guess that means yes. We repeat things, don't we? Why do we repeat things in life? <laughs> Chris says because we have kids. <laughs> That's right. That's a good, really good point. You're right. You're absolutely right. Asking the question, then giving the answer. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall be, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Again, another translation. Anybody have a different word there besides helper? Counselor? Comforter? Advocate? Hey, what translation is that? The NIV. Wow, the advocate. Man, that sounds like a legal term, does it not? He's my advocate, or she is my advocate. Someone who will, what does an advocate do? Go to bat for you? Defend you? Mm -hmm. What were you going to say, Bonnie? Stand up for you. Interesting. You know, the, the picture in this is... Uh, in some translate, well, I don't know the, some translations, but the picture is coming alongside. And the picture is this. Chris, here, you'll be my, come over here and help me. This is Chris Chambers, y'all, if you hadn't met Chris. Chris and I go way back. Way, way back. Way back. Too far back. Yes, sir. <laughs> now, the picture would be this. Is, it, <laughs> is if Chris needs some help, I can either stand, if, let's say Chris is limping and he can't walk by himself. I can either stand there and look at him and laugh at him, or I can do what? I can come alongside, and I can help him. In that translation in John chapter 14, thank you, Chris. Everybody give it up for Chris. That's what that's talking about. To come alongside is the meaning in the Greek of this. Do we not need that in life? Do we not need the Holy Spirit in our life doing that? Because we're high maintenance, aren't we? We're very needy people. Yeah, Bonnie? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, really good point. Uh, some verses say comforter. Why do we need that? Lots of times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that means we're vulnerable. We're fragile. I've seen on those boxes. How many times have you ever looked at a box and it says fragile? You know, be careful. Huh? What did you say, Dave? Never mind. Okay. <laughs> we're the same way. <laughs> okay, now I know what you just said. <laughs> We're the same way. You put us in certain situations, and we're breakable. And uh, God has to put, our, put us back together. And uh, if you've ever looked at, uh, you know, we don't, you don't see stained glass much anymore. Have you ever seen the, like, stained glass pieces that they, uh, a lot of times they almost look like pieces that are broken and put back together? And uh, if you all know Steve and Brenda Self, Steve collects broken pieces of stained glass. And he's taken those broken pieces and, and made something pretty out of them. And I was talking to him one day, and he said, he said, you know, the reason, he said, every time I do, do, like, do that, 
it's a reminder to me that that's exactly what God has done in my life. Here I was, a broken, shattered individual that really the world will look upon me and said, I'm good for nothing but to throw this in the garbage can. But God took something broken that other people would have said is garbage, and God created something very beautiful out of it. And when Steve said that, I was just like, he just knocked me over. That's incredible. That's awesome. That's exactly what God does in our life. And, that, and, and even as Christians, am I right? Even as Christians, we're still vulnerable and fragile, and, and, and we need God's comfort, his help in our life nonstop. And, and we're dependent on that. And sometimes God is doing that in our life, and we don't even acknowledge him for that. So when you, when you really sense God helping you, praise him, thank him. Yeah, Bonnie? Exactly. Teaches us how to do that. Mm-hmm. You're right. You are so right. So we've heard about this connection with the Father and the Son, and now we've been introduced to the Holy Spirit. So let's look back at verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, wait a minute, another helper. Who was the first helper? Jesus. So it's, it's not as if this is someone new or someone completely different. Again, the three are one. And so this is another helper, that he may be with you forever. You ought to underline that, that he may be with you forever. If you're a good little boy or girl, if, does it say that? Forever, period, end of statement, no condition at all. It's unconditional. It doesn't say maybe. He says, I'm sending you the helper that he will be with you forever. That's unending. That, I mean, you think about that. Man, God's saying, Holy Spirit is coming to you, not going to let you go. I got you. And earlier in John chapter 10, Jesus said, those whom I love, I know them by name. And when I speak, they recognize my voice and no one is able to what? Snatch them out of my hand. Not Satan. Not even you can snatch yourself out of God's hand. When you're a believer, when you become his child, he holds on to you. Not with a firm grip that I'm not going to let you go. You can't get away. Not like that, but with a, I got you, buddy. I got you. I'm not going to let you go. You may try to run away from me, but I got you. Not the firm, hard hand of, a, of an abusive dad, but the loving hand of somebody holding their child. You remember the back in the 70s and 80s when the footsteps in the sand, y'all know that picture? The, I look back on my life and there was times when there was only two footsteps and Lord, was that when you weren't with me? And no, I, I carried you through that, that God never leaves us is the picture there. And that uh, Jesus and that the Holy Spirit will never leave us. Man, that's a comfort, y'all. That's a promise, is it not? Is that a promise? You bet. Yeah, Bonnie? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hey, you think about this. We can talk so much about how incredible God is and his awesome characteristics and paint him into this huge superhero that, that he is. There's nothing wrong with that. But God funnels all of his power and his characteristics into who? Into loving us, into taking care of us. He's like, big deal the fact that I, I know the number of stars in the heavens and the, and, and the number of sands on the seashore. What I really care about is knowing you, knowing everything about you. That's a God that's interested. That's a God that loves us, that cares about us. And he funnels all of his incredible power into just helping us, is what Jesus has said, being our advocate, being our comforter, coming alongside us. That's an awesome God. It's a unique God that, that loves us so much. Hold on to that, and we will finish this passage uh, next week. Hey, before we close, anybody, any any questions about anything we've read or 
or any, any questions that you might have about anything we've talked about today or the last couple weeks or before we close. Do you, do you think that God maybe is, you know, Bonnie alluded to this, do you think maybe God is modeling some things to us as well? As I have helped you, what should we do? Help others. As I've come alongside you, then maybe you should come alongside others because we need that. We desperately. Most of the times when, when God shows up and, and does something in our life, he's doing it through someone else, is he not? Most of the time. And so that's the challenge for us is to be available to be used by God. Yeah, Bonnie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. Good point. He does. You bet. Absolutely. Okay. Y'all, let's pray, and we'll be out of here. Dear God, you're awesome, and we're just left speechless with who you are and how much you care about us. And so, God, we're, we're very grateful. Like, I pray, God, that as we look at these scriptures, these would change our view of who you are, regardless of how we've looked upon you in the past, that, that as we think about you, Lord, that we would think about you properly. And the more we get to know you, God, the, the more we just fall in love with you, the more we appreciate you, and the more that we can worship you and praise you. And, and not only that, but God, you, you change us and make us more like you. And uh, to where then we can go out and and help other people and minister to others. And so, Lord, we thank you for your words this morning. And uh, we know that that they're going to bless us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great week.